Welcome to the Martial Arts Marketing for School Owner podcast, where professional school owners gather to hear the latest info on how to run their schools like a pro. Join Gus Lopez of Lead Hunter Media and Ali Alberigo of LI Ninjitsu Centers for another episode. Now, here's your hosts, Gus and Ali. This podcast is sponsored by Lead Hunter Media, Elite Insights, and Waterfy. Hey, everybody. Hey, how are you? Let's hey. wait for our guest to get in. There we are. How are you? Awesome. Hi. So now, uh, do you like to be go to go, uh, be called by title or just your name? No, Andrea's fine. Okay, Andrea, thank you. And I'm Ali Gus, of course, you know that. But uh, yeah, that's I know some people are very rigid. I am at times when it comes to title and students and all of that. So, um, but I'm glad that we could be on a first name basis and just relax and have a, a great interview. Yeah, so, so welcome to our podcast for all the listeners and viewers and, you know, all our people who are listening on iTunes at a later date. Um, and your last name is pronounced Harkins. Yes, that's correct. Right, so this is Andrea Hardkins, and she's a uh, very prominent female martial artist. And I say it like that because it's not as common as you would think in our industry to be a, a female successful martial arts school owner. I don't know. It's not due to lack of talent or lack of ability. It just seems like a lot of people seem that they think that they can't do it, which I find to be so untrue. Um, I have a woman in my area by the name of Joyce Santa Maria, and she's a very famous martial artist and had one of the largest schools in our area for over 40 years. So amazing. She's ran the largest tournaments and she's an incredible individual. So it's definitely doable. And now you're here with us to share um, about your new book as well. So that's yeah. exciting. You know, yeah, and how, thank you, thank you yeah. for having me. So yeah, excited. it's a pleasure. Really great. So Gus, did you have, we'll jump right in with some questions and get started. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, your book, what it's about, and uh, what, who is your target demographic? This book is, it's called uh, How to Start Your Own Martial Art Program. I have, actually, this is a proof copy, but um, this is kind of <laughs> what it looks like. It's really easy to read. Um, but this book is about starting a martial art program as opposed to a school, mm -hmm. uh, although you can use a lot of the information in here for schools. But for me, a program is sort of a portable program that you can teach anywhere. So you can have several locations. Or you can just have one location. You can do it part time. You can do it full time. Um, the demographic for this would be probably black belts, because usually at that stage, you've been teaching for your, you know, your school, your style. So you have some teaching experience, but you want to do something on your own. It's for martial arts. Uh, school owners who maybe no longer have their brick and mortar location because of COVID or something that's happened financially or whatever it might be. It's for people who want to be better instructors because the book is a step-by-step -step on how to create a program, but it's also because I'm very positive in my communications and my outreach, it's also very encouraging. So it reminds people, yes, you can do this. Along the path of the book, you'll, you'll hear me say, you know, this is doable. You can definitely work on this. You can get there. You can do it. I did it. Um, so I think it's just uh, as well as being this step-by-step -step to a great martial art program that you can build from beginning forward, uh, it's also an encouraging book and a reminder 
to keep going and pursuing your dreams and passions. And this yeah. is how you can do it. So we started before we got, um, when, before we went live, we chatted a little bit about how this could be perfect timing for many of those martial arts schools that closed due to COVID. And in my area, we had, I, last count was around 48 in just my two counties um, oh. that, that closed, which is sad. And some of them super big players, like five locations, a thousand students and so on. So COVID really devastated our area. And I know hundreds and hundreds of schools across the, the country that went out of business. Although um, we're now seeing a trend of schools opening up like crazy. So this is a perfect time with COVID schools being closed or now schools reopening and starting small. So what's your thought on on that, you know, okay, open in a program versus jumping right into renting a building and, and getting a lease and all that other yeah. stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think you touched on it right there, the overhead expenses and the costs involved in an actual building. <laughs> all the upfront expenses and overhead that you have. So if you're, if you're transitioning again back into being a school owner, do you at this point want to take on that overhead? Do you want to take on those extra expenses? Or do you want to go and teach? Because that's usually the passion. Um, somewhere where you don't have to worry so much about those things. Right. Um, I have like a list of venues to consider in the book, for instance, like maybe something out of the box, um, sometimes like public libraries or private schools or um, doing lunch and learn sessions and corporate settings um, where people are starting now to go back to work. Mm -hmm. you colleges, you have college campuses and churches and dance studios and gymnasiums and county parks, preschools, retirement centers. You can share space with another business owner. So there's so many, sometimes you think, oh, it's just a community center. Right. No, there's so many options to consider. Um, and the overhead is very minimal, right? You walk in, I taught at a YMCA. I've done several programs. The longest one, well, I had two that were quite long. Um, YMCA I did for like eight years. There was no overhead for me. I just right. walked in, I was paid uh, per student as opposed to like an hourly thing. So that's another thing I would say, you know, if you're going into a program type setting, Make sure you're getting paid like per the number of students as opposed to, oh, here's 20 bucks an hour. Right. But, um, you know, there's no overhead. So they, and I also sold my uniforms, whatever products, you know, sparring gear and things like that. And so with the low overhead, I was able to make what I wanted to make uh, doing right. it and teaching and enjoying it. And so that's the way I kind of look at it as opposed to, just jumping into so many expenses that really get yeah. tough, you know, and yeah. COVID really showed that you could lose it all. Um, right. So and you could, on it. I think too, though, that uh, what you mentioned too is quite interesting because um, you could be mobile, you could be in multiple programs. And also too, um, you're not what they call golden handcuffs. You're not locked into a lease with massive overhead. And like you said, people, did lose students and went out of business due to that heavy overhead. So this kind of uh, lets you have a, a less stressful type existence and still do what you love. It's a great concept. I think that that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I actually learned, I began martial arts in 1989. And the program that I learned in was at a recreation center. Mm. So it was a program. 
but the owner of the of this program, he his program was in every recreation center in that city. Oh wow! So you know he had kind of this monopoly on all of the rec centers, and so he trained people. We and I was one of them. Went out and taught for him at one of the locations, and did that for many years, and got my yeah. teaching. That's so, fantastic. Yeah. yeah, and that that's a this is kind of a foreign-ish concept in the U.S., right? This, set, but in the U.K., when I went over there, people would say, oh, "I have uh, 20 centers, and we had classes, you know, four days a week in 20 different centers, and they were making they had thousands of students, so they were making a fortune without all the stress of, like you said, right. having that big school and you know being tethered to heating it and leases and all that stuff. So it's a great concept. I love it. So, Gustav, do you have any thoughts or questions on that? Yeah, yeah, I had a question. What, um, what are your thoughts about uh, running the program like through Zoom and stuff like that? Were you doing that like through lockdown? I personally haven't been teaching. What happened was uh, three years ago, I moved from Florida freeze? to Tucson. Did you guys freeze? No. And I haven't actually taught since. Maybe then. I froze. No, yeah, you're froze, Gus. You're okay. Uh, I'm I'm not, and neither is is she. So you're frozen. I'm not frozen. Um. So anyway, during COVID, I personally wasn't teaching at that time. But what I would say, and I think I touched on it in the book also, is that um, there was a time before COVID when a lot of martial artists frowned upon online learning or online teaching. Mm-hmm. And you know, I understood it. But I always thought, gee, that's kind of close-minded because you can do a lot on, right. uh, on platforms that are online. Right. Um, you know, I even had one instructor frown upon me because I used content from online for my class for some of my classes. Yeah. Um, why front? Why? That's like me going to a seminar and learning something and bringing it to my kids or to yeah, my yeah. students. So. Um, I think what happened with COVID and one of the positives is that we learned that online teaching can work um, and, and Zoom classes do work. They're not the be all end all. They're not the best. Yeah. You know, in person. Uh, you know what? You, right. Exactly. And you know what, too? I find that um, listening to people and their opinions that, you know, I just posted the other day on Facebook just to get people talking. And, um, you know, I posted something positive. I forget what it was, but it's like, you know, 20 people are positive, 40 people are negative. They try to find something that you said that they could twist and turn. So I, I ignore all those naysayers. There's a lot of people, though, that I, I had to really motivate to get back onto Zoom that were re- ready to give up. Well, COVID hit. We're not allowed to teach. We're shut down. That's it. I'm done. I'm like, well, why can't you teach on Zoom? Oh, you can't do jujitsu on Zoom. You can't do grappling on Zoom. I'm like, of course you can. And I had to explain it to them in a way that they would understand it. So, And then they were up and running. Thank God, because it saved some of their schools, you know, or else they might be out of business. Yeah, it's a perspective. I mean, as any business owner, you have to have a bit of an open mind. Right. And the ability to see options and perspectives. That's what a true entrepreneur can do. Yeah. Uh, How do I fix this and how do I make it work for now? And uh, maybe I have to modify things, but uh, I, I can do it. I can have students, I can teach concepts and ideas. Yeah. We're not face to face right now. 
Yeah. And I love what you said too, like, you know, bringing online content to the existing students, it just makes their experience that much better. Right. I mean, it's not that that's all you were doing. You're just adding that as a value stack, another thing that you're giving to them to help them become better students. So I applaud you. Keep that going. It's a great idea. And I'm glad that you're talking about it. Gus, you you had a question before you got knocked out off the uh, the podcast. (laughs) Uh, yeah, it was just that, that question about Zoom, but I, I think she answered it already. So Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I'm, I'm looking through your book, and there's some amazing chapters. Like, I, I love, like, you know, the beauty of teaching martial arts. Um, tell us a little bit about what got you into the martial arts, other than you started at a program, and why did you continue? Because some of us have been in it forever. You said 1989. I, I graduated high school in 83, started martial arts when I was three in 68. So I'm a lot older than you, I'm sure, and, uh, and uh, you know, been doing it for a long time. But what kept you going? Like, what, as a woman martial artist, what was some of your driving forces to be in the martial arts? Yeah, well, it's kind of funny how I started. I, I had no interest in martial arts. I never watched martial art movies. I did watch Kung Fu on TV, so I like that. But as far as martial arts, I really had no interest in it. I had no background in it, never even thought about it. Mm-hmm. It was my husband, we had been married a year, and he said, hey, the recreation center not too far away has a, has a martial art program. Are you interested in going? I'm like, I don't think so. You yeah. Know? Um, but he's like, well, let's just try it. You know, we were newly married. So I thought, okay, <clears throat> excuse me. I thought, okay, I better, better give it a go. If you want to try it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, so I went to that first class and, you know, I can honestly say I did not like it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a big community center. There were a lot of students, some were sparring, some were, uh, yelling, some were breaking boards, some were doing forms kicks, you know, all that kind of thing. And I just thought, I can't do that. Why am I here? You know, I was raised, um, I was raised not to yell, not to break things, not to fight. And now you're telling me I'm going to learn how to yell, break boards, fight with other people. Yeah. Uh, So it took me a little bit of time to assimilate to that. And at first I really didn't like it because it was just so far out of my I don't know, just uh, so far out of who I was at the time. So I began, but you know what happened? I learned for the first time that if I gave 100% to something, that if I really tried, that I could succeed. It was not something that was ever a part of me to ever give 100%. I always just thought of myself as average and ordinary. But when I got in there and I started doing well and the instructor would stop and point me out in class, even though I was only like a yellow belt for my focus, he'd always say, look at Andrea's focus, you know? Um, and I thought, wow, somebody, I'm doing something right. And I'm doing this well, maybe this is for me. And that was sort of the little catalyst that kept me going. And my husband and I went together and we did all our programs together all these years. Um, but we did sort of our separate things too. So that's how I started. It was really nothing I wanted to ever do. I never even thought about it. But the power of martial arts is that you learn that you're more capable than you ever realized. Mm-hmm. You just you don't realize your capabilities as a person uh, until you try a martial art and you find success in it and you learn and grow with it. And then you suddenly step back and you go, wow, if I can do this. Well, I can write books, you know, I mean, all the other things that I always wanted to do that I was like, no, I'm not good enough for that. It's easy. 
I can write for magazines. I can yeah. write books. I can be on Facebook Live and I can do, you know, yeah. talks yeah. and chats with people. And, you know, it just led to so much more. So I think um, that's well, how I began. And that's yeah. Can I can I unpack that a little bit more? Because I'm fascinated because I, um, you know, martial arts, like I, I have a lot of women in my school, especially young girls. I, I mean, our, our style is ninjutsu, very much Aikido-ish where, you know, using the opponent's energy against themselves. Yeah. But I find like a, a big question with parents is, can my daughter do this? And when they find out they can, they're thrilled by the fact that their daughter can become empowered. But when you said uh, to me, which I find, you know, you were raised to be timid, quiet, not outspoken. I mean, that old, the old days, women were more like that, right? Now, when I say old days, I don't mean, you know, Gus wasn't even born probably when, you know, when we, like, what were you born in Gus, 1990 something? Or 1995. Yeah, yeah, so he's like, you know, you started the martial arts before, like he was even a thought. And yeah. me, me too, like, but, but tell me, like, I, I really want the listeners, especially the male owners and also the female listeners to understand. So, yeah, you were raised, you know, be quiet. And if you're you're forceful, they think that you're being, you know, manlike. Or if you're confident, you're, you know, they have all sorts of words, which I'd hate to mention when people feel women are strong, you know. Yeah. And so, so tell me a little bit about that stigma and how you over, not yourself only, but how do women overcome that? Or how do we teach the uh, parents that their kids are capable. Do, do you understand what I'm trying to get at where uh, yeah, that yeah, stigma goes away? I think I understand where you're coming from on that. And it's a lot of times they have to see it to believe it, honestly. Um, so I would say, hey, if you have a question about if your daughter can do this, you know, just bring her to class, let her see it, let her try it. Right. And then see how she feels about it. Also, you know, people don't understand that men and women do learn differently and they have different strengths and weaknesses. Yes. I'm not as big as a guy. I can't rely solely on body physicality and power. Right. I have to use leverage and I have to use, you know, maybe a different thought process to overcome a situation. Yeah. You know, my thing is as a woman, I don't want to fight anybody, but if I'm getting attacked, I just want to get away. Right. My that's what I think of as self-defense. Mm -hmm. yeah. I don't want to be, I want to get away. I'm not going to stop and try to fight. Um, so we have a different mindset, but the thing is we use our skills differently. I, a lot of times I use a bowling analogy. So if you go bowling and neither say it's a man and a woman going bowling, mm -hmm. and neither one is like an experienced bowler. You're just going for fun. Right. right. And the guy picks up the bowling ball and he, you know, is pretty strong and he just throws that ball down the alley, you know, with all his strength and he gets right. a strike, man. I mean, his, his, he's so powerful that he just, you know, uses strength. Right. The woman steps up and she thinks, well, if I, if I take this ball and I put it down between those arrows, I mean, her strategy is completely different. Right. I can't use the strength. I don't have the strength to just throw this ball down the lane. But I know if I use if I use some finesse and if I use the right technique, I can roll it down the middle and get a strike. Okay, so this is the same difference I see in martial arts um, that the woman really has to know the strategy. She really has to know the technique. But in doing so, you know, she can do the same technique. She can do everything the same and be as successful. When I work out with my husband, if people see me throw him, just because I know leverage and how to throw him over my shoulder, right? 
or they're like, wow. Okay. So it's like, yeah, you know, I'm not, it's technique and yeah. everybody can learn technique. Um, so I think that's the important thing to tell people is it's more than just what you see and what you think it is. Right. There's, right. You know, the technique and having the right instructors and having the encouragement is the helpful piece. Now I, I started with my husband, as I said, I started a long time ago. There weren't a lot of women in the classes. So you had to kind of learn to work out with the guys and see what the differences were and figure those out. But every girl can learn martial arts. Every person can learn a martial art. A lot of it is just picking out the right martial art for you. What is it you're trying to do? Yeah. Um, are you trying to get fit? You're trying to lose weight. You're trying to learn self-defense. You want to be in competitions. You know, what, what is the goal? And that's the important thing to tell parents or even girls who are interested in trying. There's a martial art for everyone. There's a martial art for you. And it will empower you no matter what you choose. And you will learn it. Um, so yeah. there are some thoughts. And all those obstacles you just mentioned physically or martial, martial art wise, you can also put the same mindset into running a business as a female owner and operator, yeah. right? So I think that a lot of times, and I just saw a commercial, I forget what it was. And it said that a small percentage of a certain ethnic uh, community is our business owners, right? I don't remember what it was, but the same thing goes for women business owners, which is growing now. But I yeah. think a lot of it had a lot to do with that stigma um, be careful, you know, you're a woman, you can't do this. And I just say, throw all that out to, you know, in the trash, because I see so many great successful women entrepreneurs and school owners nowadays. It's so impressive. And, and I yeah. love it. It's beautiful. So yeah. awesome job. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just taken time because, you know, way back, women weren't even allowed to learn martial arts, you know, so we had to evolve through that. We had to evolve into, okay, you know, instructors will teach women. Okay. Then we had to evolve, evolve into, we're good enough to be instructors. And we had to evolve beyond that, you know, so it's been this big evolution. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think sometimes that type of evolution makes people stronger. So I think yeah. women martial artists are at a point where they're, they're strong and they're valuable and they're knowledgeable and they're experts because of that evolution. Right. I love yeah. it. And I think that's like an ongoing evolution that, that just continue. Like I remember when, you know, women started fighting in the UFC and then now you have women headlining the show. It's like, it's like, right. it just keeps evolving and growing over the years. Right. That's awesome. It's an evolution for them, but it's also evolution for audiences, right? For mm. a while audiences were like, I don't want to watch women do this. Yeah. <laughs> it, it wasn't an automatic oh yeah they're they're great to watch you know no it's like where are the guys um so yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's been an interesting and then uh, even in the ufc gus too it goes back to that stigma like we don't want to see women beating each other guys are okay guys are neanderthals don't just beat each other up they're cavemen yeah. you know that's what they do they've been doing it for years but women we don't want to see that and once we saw the sporting element of it and how empowered women can be. I mean, some of these women are such brutal fighters that they're able, to, I would put them up against some of the men and easily see them get the men get yeah. defeated because of their skill. Yeah. So I love that. So Gus, you had another question. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, tell us why, do you, in your opinion, why do you think that uh, a lot of people in the UK go the route of, you know, starting the centers versus kind of how we do it here in the US? Like what are the main differences that you would say? Yeah. 
I honestly, Allie probably knows more about that than I do. I honestly don't know. Um, I think maybe opportunities are different. I, I, I honestly don't know uh, why they go that route. I think it's a good example. You know, those of us yeah. who want to do programs could probably look to the UK and see how they build these programs in all of these centers. It could be a physical thing, like there just might be a lot of centers there. Yeah. You can just fill them, you know, doing different activities. Uh, I don't know that there's as many centers here. Um, yeah. So we may just have to be more entrepreneurial and, and build like, you know, a building or work yeah. on a building as opposed to the centers. Um, because even like I mentioned earlier in the venues that I list out in the book, all the different venues, uh, they're not all centers because I, I just don't think there's enough centers around okay. for us to, um, you know, have that same level maybe they have at the UK in their centers. Yeah, I think too, though, that it's more widely uh, understood in it's part of their concept of what they do in everything, whether it be martial arts or yeah. everything is in a center in the UK, like they do. Oh, okay. So it's more center based. I think that we have more um, outward private business based businesses like dance studios and so on. So in the UK, they use it for everything is in a center. You want to go to the, if it was the YMCA, they have everything you could ever want in the center. So it's more understood that way. But, but I, you know what I love about what you said too, is that, that going back to what it was in the beginning is that starting off, you could always eventually move once you grow your center program or you're, you know, you're, when you're renting in a dance studio and then build up the clientele enough that you can safely open up your own location. And speaking, speaking of that, there, you know, in chapter um, 12, I think it is, uh, you had wrote, wrote about floor space considerations. And I think that's a big problem. Like a lot of people think that they need to own a massive facility to be able to run a successful school. And that's actually probably the opposite of building a successful facility, because now you have so, you have to have 300 students before you even break even. So what what is that chapter? Can you tell the you know people a little bit about how you consider floor space and thoughts on how big you need it, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, and sometimes it's the opposite direction. Sometimes you find a floor space and then you decide how many students you can fit in it. Right. Um, like for instance, most centers, some of them, if it's a gymnasium, yeah, you have this huge floor, but like you said, how much of that are you gonna be able to fill? And it right. doesn't feel, it doesn't feel the same if there's just a few of you in this huge gymnasium as right. it does if you have a smaller uh, area. So, I mean, you wanna know, is there enough room for several students? Say, say your goal is 25, you know, how many can you personally, if it's just you teaching, yeah. how many can you teach? Right. Uh, first of all, yeah. and it's probably gonna be around 25. Okay. Kids, and that's a lot for yeah. kids. Um, you know, maybe it's less for adults. I don't know. Um, so you come up in your mind. What do I want to start with? How many can I do this for myself? And then you find the floor space that fits that, knowing they have to move around. So that means going out and looking at spaces. Um, also, you want to look at the space and think, what kind of flooring is this? Right. What kind of obstacles are in the space. We taught at the Y, like I mentioned, but there was a huge column right in the middle of the room. Okay. So it was an obstacle. So you had to you had to think, can I work around this thing? I mean, what if the yeah. kids are doing katas and they have to, you know, yeah. so we, you know, came up with wrapping it with, you know, some mm -hmm. stuff so that if they bump into it, they won't get yeah, hurt. yeah. <laughs> um, 
there was a stage there and sometimes they had like Christmas gifts up there. So, you know, you have to just think, what does this space look right. like for me? What do I need and what can I, what can I be flexible with and work around? Because as I said, this isn't your space, it's somebody else's space and they may already have things. Yeah, it's a shared space. Yeah, and you wanna know, you know, what about storage? Can I actually store my equipment here or do I have to take it home? We stored like our heavy bags there, but we took everything else and we had a lot of equipment. We had like a van. Every time we went back and forth, we packed it all up and we took it home with us. So, you know, these are some of the thoughts that you need to have when you're looking at um, spaces and what type of floor space they have. Yeah, and in your book, you bring up all of those different options and scenarios, which I love. Like you're giving you're giving people many different choices so that whatever it may be, you're giving them away and explaining them through it, which is great. You're giving them a lot of information on, on and different options, which is fantastic. Yeah. 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 So, so Gus, did you have another question? Uh, yeah. So um, I had a question about kind of like the the program building aspect. Uh, like how do, do you how do you go about that? Like give us a little preview about kind of your system and how how you do that yeah i mean the way i set up this book is kind of the way i do, way i do it um you know your first step is deciding that you want to teach because it's a big undertaking right um then you know you you think about the options between the program and school uh, it's really the chapters that i'm looking at um and what the essentials are your schedule right um what kind of mindset you have, the growth mindset, really step-by-step -step equipment. You have to think through all these steps and that's, that's why this book is great um, because you, it helps you think through the steps to get started. If you have no experience with your own program, um, this leads you through the way and then gives you like this plethora of options yeah. that you can, you can think about that maybe you didn't think about. Um, you know, staffing or um, fees, you know, how much are you going to charge? You know, one thing I did, um, and, and there's several reasons why you might start a program. It might be for more experience. It might be to earn money. It might be just because you love teaching. Um, my first program that I taught back in the 1990s with my husband was at a community center in a low-income kind of troubled neighborhood where we taught for free because we wanted to get more experience. We wanted to create a syllabus. We wanted to create a program. And this was a great way to do it, right? We were doing it on a, on a volunteer level. And that gave us confidence and experience that we knew we could later use to start programs for profit. Yeah. So it's really important to think through what it is you want, what your end goal is at the beginning. Even if you're thinking, I want five locations or I want a really big school, you start thinking about that at the beginning and then you set up uh, the phases. The great thing about the volunteer program for us was we loved it so much. We learned so much and we began there on a volunteer basis and we thought, well, hey, we'll do this for like a year and get the experience and then we'll, well, we were there for like seven or eight years for free. Um, gave them uniforms, gave them everything just show up and be in the classes and do your best and learn how to protect yourself. And, you know, so those are some of the things that you have to just think through, but this book literally is talks you through the whole thing. So if you've never had a program, you're a newly minted black belt, you want to get some experience just doing your own thing. 
um, if you are, you know, the school owner who's had a program, had a program or a school, this might refresh you. This book, this might give you some of these thoughts that you haven't had in a long time about why you began and what's important about it. Um, so it's just, and there's also in here, which is really important, is like a sample handbook, or um, you know, for your program. You just right. kind of fill in the, the spaces in this, and you're creating your pro your handbook. Right. Um, so, and there's a lot of templates in here also. And I probably got way off track on your question, but anyway. <laughs> no, that was that was great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you have any follow-ups on that, Gus? I'm sorry. Did you have any follow-ups on that, or? Uh, yeah, I was just gonna say that's what I love about books. Like, literally, can just one book can save you like years of time. Like, you know, right. from what you're trying to learn. Like, if you're if you're trying to obviously learn how to start a program, you want to read on it, you want to take courses, you want to learn from a mentor. So, yeah, I think that. Uh, I like how you have everything structured. It's very like kind of detailed and step-by-step that, step you know, makes it super easy to follow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah thank you. And, and this is not your only book though, right? You also wrote another, a few or others, but the martial art woman was another one, which you also have the martial art woman podcast as well. Right. 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 Yeah. So that's awesome. I, like, I just love that this is your mission in life is to help. And, and what I really love most is that you're empowering women, you know, and I find that that's such an important, especially, look, I have a daughter, she's 22, started in the martial arts at 20. This week alone, I've gotten like four calls for people that are, kids are going off to college and uh, they're going to Manhattan in the city, which is not so great right now. It's a little more dangerous than ever before. Yeah. Back to like the seventies kind of mentality with shootings and robberies and so on. So the parents are very concerned. Um, but a small two-week, four-week class is never going to prepare them. They should have been doing martial arts all along. So I love that your duty or your goal in life is to empower women because, I, I mean, for me, my daughter, I wanted to feel safe and I still didn't, even though she had a black belt when she went away, I always worried about her, tracked her on my phone. I was calling up the first two years. Where are you? Dad, I'm in my classroom. Where are you? I'm in my dorm. You know, like, so I love that you're helping people and, and especially coming from you as a woman. I mean, I could say it and sometimes it doesn't mean as much. So um, what do you think is something that, you know, well, maybe in the book, The Martial Art Woman, but what, I, I never read through that, but what are some of the things you think women need to work on in their lives to become more empowered? Maybe a few skills that they could learn from you to really make their lives, you know, better or more powerful. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the simplest answer to empowerment is, is like awareness and confidence. Okay. And martial arts builds both of that, right? You okay. really learn to be aware of your surroundings when you learn martial arts. Even in class in a, in a confined setting, you know, you don't know, say you're in the center of a circle and you're doing some kind of um, example where people just come and grab you or whatever, right. and you have to figure out how to get out of it. I mean, it brings right. you that sense of awareness and understanding what's around you. And then, as I mentioned earlier, all of the aspects of martial arts that you learn help you gain the sense of confidence. And so we all know that, you know, when it comes to people who want to harm someone, they look for a person whose head is down, who looks, you know, uncomfortable, who looks scared. Sure. Um, and martial arts, you know, even if you go into it without even thinking about all of that, that that's what a woman learns 
that is very difficult to learn without martial arts. You know, how do you build your confidence? Right. Um, so those are like two factors that are super important that uh, martial arts really are just automatically train you to be a certain way and to, you know, be aware, to look people in the eye. Uh, you face a lot of your little fears when you learn a martial art, right? You, you know, when I sparred for the first time, I was like, I, I don't want to do this. I'm afraid of this. Right. You know, and then you do it. And, you know, even if it's just light contact or just for points, you know, yeah. you're like, wait, I, I can do this, right? Yeah. Um, so if somebody comes up and tries to punch me, I can block them and I can, you know, take them down if I have to. It's just all of that mindset. But but the bigger picture is that the people around you see it. Right. right. The guy right. who's looking to, you know, grab some woman is not going to look at you twice because you look like, you know, yeah. you're going to give a fight. And, and those are the things that I think are so important. And as you said, like in situations or places where are not as safe as they could be, uh, you need to be able to handle yourself, but more importantly, look like you need, you can handle yeah. yourself. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I love it. I, I'm just, just this morning, I had a conversation with a, a mom with her little daughter. She's seven in our summer camp. She's a little overweight. And the, the mom said, oh, she, one of the other kids called her fat. And um, we were chatting and, you know, I said, she says, I don't, I didn't send my kid to camp to be bullied. I said, I understand. And I'm hundred percent behind that. I, we can't monitor everything every single child says, especially if we don't know it. But anyway, she said that even herself, uh, as a mom, she's working on speaking up for herself and she's trying to get her daughter to do so. I said, so let's take this as a learning opportunity to get her to understand that she can speak up and say, that's not a nice way to speak to me or go right to a counselor or one of our black belts and say, hey, so-and-so called me this name. And I, I think that's the sad part. A lot of young girls and, and even teen teenage girls are afraid to speak up or afraid yeah, to say, yeah. stay back. Even when we do a drill and you've probably done this in self-defense where you say, stop, stay away. And I'm like, you know, I say, yell it real loud. And they're like, stop, yeah. stay, stay yeah. away. I'm like, no loud. I go, yell it as if I was gonna, I was your boyfriend or husband and I did something wrong and you wanted to give it to me. Like have that same confidence and yell yeah. at me, right? So I think that we have to work on that for women and, and you know he listened the same thing for timid young boys too it's the same thing they get bullied for all the reasons you just mentioned so i love that you said that it's very important to yeah. have confidence yeah i mean i've taught women self-defense classes and one of the first things we learn is the you know stop or whatever yeah. and i yell it and they're like oh. right <laughs> and i'm like yeah you can do that too and they're like oh, right. no, stop. And i was like yeah timid. from that you know yeah exactly yeah you have to really you know, create a comfortable situation in this and that teaching environment where they feel like they can actually, you know, yell it. And sometimes I make them all do it together. And that way I, can, I get them to kind of get that loudness out because, oh, yeah. everybody, we're going to all do it together. Okay. You know, right. now, now I'll try. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because even male, female doesn't matter. The three major fears in life, right? One is drowning. Another one is loud noises. And the other one is falling. I mean, and public speaking is the top one. Yeah. Right. So we when we bring them into a martial art class, we other than the drowning portion, right, we we hit the yelling, we hit the public speaking because they have to yell. Then the loud noises comes in. So there's a lot of things that we push them to overcome. And I yeah. think that that's, they don't even know it and they might not even know why it's uncomfortable. Like you, when you first took your first class, you were like, I don't know if this is for me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing. Uh, that's yeah. It's, it's really important 
it's really important in so many so many ways and you know women are can be empowered uh and they can learn martial arts and yeah all of the things that they want to do and protect themselves i mean it's not a fail safe thing i mean someone can still attack you right you can have tools Mm -hmm. that you otherwise won't have right tools are what can help save you yes so awesome i love it so so going back to your book the the book now about starting your own program um i like the fact too that you you wrote in there too like who's your competition um i know myself i've written some books and people have asked me questions and i have to go back and go what did i write in that what was i talking you know in that chapter but i think what i'm getting from that too is i think that a lot of people sometimes believe things to be their competition when in reality it really isn't you know like we might think soccer baseball, football, is there our competition when in fact it may not be? So what are your thoughts on that? Like, as yeah, a- I mean, I actually, I actually think those things are your competition. People tend to think that other martial arts schools um, are their, are their competition. Um, okay. I don't think other martial arts schools are your competition because there's so much you can do in conjunction with other schools to, to build everybody up. Right. right to improve martial art awareness, for instance, if a couple of schools get together and do some kind of activity or they all march in a parade, you're building this like awareness that martial art schools are important in our right. culture and we need them. Um, you know, when I say there's competition, I say there's, you know, after school sports, parents tend to choose the things like basketball and tennis and baseball. And, yeah. soccer, and nothing against that two of my sons played football in high school you know but i often see that as a competition because those requirements are so much heavier like than what we require in martial arts you know maybe maybe in martial arts you say hey you need to come at least twice a week right, right to really learn you know if once a week is all you can come come once a week you know we have kind of that flexibility right. other programs that have kids are like no soccer is five days a week Right. So how do you ever fit in martial arts or anything else? Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like sometimes those kind of sports kind of are your competition, but that doesn't mean you can't promote your martial arts school as a way to, you know, enhance some of those things. If you know kids okay. are going to play football anyway, how does martial arts help them be a better football player? Right. Um, you know, my son played football. He also did martial arts. And when I wa- went and watched his practices at football, a lot of their warm-ups were similar to the warm-ups we were doing in martial arts. Right. He was so much better at those warm-ups. He was already flexible. He was already, you know. So think about how your school, don't think about everything as competition, but more how you can make martial arts a part of, you know, the whole community of, of things that are offered to kids and yeah. Hopefully they, they take your program as, as their activity, but sometimes martial arts comes in second and it's like a supplemental activity. Right. That's okay. That's okay. Um, but you know, your, your competition isn't necessarily other schools, other martial art programs. Yeah. You know what? I, I like that too. I, I love what you're saying. And I've often said that to my parents, like if they're uh, you know, oh, he wants to do football. That's fantastic. Martial arts will make him, a, if football's your thing, martial arts will just make him a better football player or baseball player or whatever. So you have to use what you do to enhance the thing that they feel is top priority rather than trying to stop them from doing football. We just have to show them how we can help them enhance their football through the martial arts. 
So that's a great spin on it. I love it. That's a good way to tell parents why they shouldn't quit, you know, because this is just going to make them better at football. Yeah. Yeah. That's outstanding. I love it. It really gives them an edge. It gives them an edge in life, but it gives them an edge in all of the other things that they do. Even just even studying, you know, say there's a kid who's struggling with studying for school. Well, when you learn martial arts, your brain is constantly working and learning and the focus and the attention and all that goes right directly into the other things that you do, like studying for your exams, studying for your tests. Yeah, um, absolutely. They're all just great benefits that we don't always think about when we're talking about martial arts. Yeah. But yeah, it really enhances life in so many ways. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I wish I would have joined and stuck with it as a kid. Uh, now as an adult, I'm like, man, like I need to catch up. I see some of these like like five year olds like rolling in my school, and I'm like, damn, like they're doing all these things, like like we're doing. I'm like, damn, like I wish I was doing that at that age. Like I would have been, yeah. you know. But Gus, I do have to say, you are you are a kid still, so you're so, <laughs> you're so young. <laughs> Even though you're you think you're you're not, but you're so young. You got so many years ahead of you. You're starting. You did. You're doing great. You know. Um, but but I will say that I didn't start martial arts until I was 27. Oh, okay. I wasn't that young. Great. There you go. So I technically I started before you. So. Yeah. Well, Andrea, the, you, you must say, though, now when we look back at 27, we're like, damn, I wish I could be that young again. Right? Like, <laughs> I'd be happy with 45, you know, that kind of thing. I'm 56 now. So it's crazy. Yeah. Um, I am. I'm 58. Wow. I thought I was older than you. That You look amazing and you're in great shape. And, and that's terrific. Like still training and doing your thing. So unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's a testament right there, health and vitality through martial arts and the activity that we do, because it's more body, mind and soul related. It's not just going to the gym. It's not just doing one thing. Right. It's not. So it, it has such a wide blend. And that's what I love about that as well. Yeah. You know, it's funny as I had to think a minute. How old am I? How old am I? <laughs> oh, okay. How old do we feel, though? That's the question. Like, I often look at my guys in their 20s. I go, I could do better than them right now. Um, yeah. But then I also have those 23 year olds that they, they're packing such a punch. And I'm like, wow, I don't know if I want to take that punch anymore. Right. You know, I, I used to love it, but now I'm thinking a way out of it. Yeah. Yeah. You're training. You know, sometimes it shifts. You know, I was like a Tang Sudo type style. So it was a very rigorous, you know, style. And that's what I taught up until a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, but I also love like Kung Fu and Tai Chi and yeah. other things that I, you know, I can do well because of the background that I have, you know, in Tai Chi, when you do like the kicks and things, yeah. you know, I can hold my kick and it looks, it looks right, you know? So it, you know, you can, you can change styles along the way. I have a second degree yeah. black belt that I got in the nineties and I've just, you know, been that ever since. Right. Well, I have, a, I have a question for you. Have you ever read or heard of the book, The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker? So, I think I have it and I don't think I've actually ever read it, but oh, a lot wow. of references. It's a great, great book. And the reason why I bring it up, because a lot of the things you said he mentions in there, like we roll back into the interview in the early part, you were saying that a lot of the things are awareness 
you know, um, walking with, or, you know, with confidence, right? Because obviously the injured gazelle is going to get attacked by the lions versus the one that's super fast. You know? So I guess, you know, the victim, visual victim mentality, that's what, what these predators, these bad people look at. But what I loved about the book of the gift of fear was trusting your gut. And no one has a better gut than a mom or, or a woman, right? To understand the feelings of what is wrong. But I think that so many times we overlook how we feel because we feel right. We feel like, why should we think that way? You know, are we wrong? Are we paranoid and so on and so forth? Do you have any insight on that as a self-defense, trusting your intuition, trusting your gut kind of mentality? Yeah. Yeah. I would say that, you know, if you, and I tell people this all the time, if you ever feel like something is going to happen or you feel uncomfortable, get out of the situation. And I, and I use sometimes like, say you're, say you're out in a parking lot by your car and you see some guy kind of in the distance and he starts kind of running towards you. Right. You know, learn the stop and everything, but you know, and, you, and you're feeling inside, like what's happening? Is he coming right. to me? And I, and I tell them, you know, use that yell, tell him right. to stop. Yeah. In the eye. And, and people are like, well, what if he's just, you know, coming because he dropped some money and it flew towards you and he was trying right. to you know, pick it up. I said, no harm done. Right. Maybe you're embarrassed for a minute because you just yelled at some stranger who wants to right. pick up his money. Yeah. No harm done. It's okay. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, what if he was running toward you? You may have just saved your life by bringing awareness to the situation. Let him know you are not going to let him do what he wants to do. So I say, you know, what's the worst that can happen? It, if they're not touching you, you know, but you feel threatened and you yell at them or you run away or you do something, do it. Yeah. You just don't know. There's nothing wrong with feeling like you're in danger because there's no 100% way of knowing that. Right. Right. Um, and, hey, listen, you could have avoided, maybe you don't know this, but maybe by yelling and that person did stop and say, hey, I was just going for my money. In your mind, you might think I was paranoid, but in the reality of it, he could have been coming to you. Yeah, so yeah. Like, we, we, we should trust. I always say it's better to be yeah. paranoid, right? Than yeah. to, than to be injured. So yeah. even with my self-defense, when I taught my daughter, if you feel uncomfortable, you're in a certain area, you went somewhere where there are people on the side of the road, you don't walk through the crowd, you go around it you know, and try to understand that. So that's a great lesson. I love that. So what, what are some of the other things, little quick pointers for women um, that are listening that you would say that another like, you know, thing that maybe comes up in a self-defense scenario, do you check your car to, you know, stay out of dark places, like some of those quick tips? Yeah. I mean, I use a lot of that. I personally, I try not to go outside and I know this sounds maybe unrealistic to some people. I try not to go outside at night when it's dark by myself. Right. Like, say I run out of milk, I have the option, you know, do I want to run down to the store? It's 9.30 p.m. Right. Uh, first thing I think to myself is, no, you know what? I don't need it tonight. I'm not yeah. going to go out in the dark. And nothing, I don't want women to be afraid of going out and doing what they want. Right. But nothing to think about it. Yeah. Oh, yes. Okay. Well, do you go to the gas station at 11 o'clock at night? Right. Or can you wait until 6 o'clock tomorrow yeah. morning? You know, just think about it. Um, I always tell women, you know, wear whatever clothing you want, but just know, and this, you know, some people hate me for saying this, if you're wearing a super short skirt or your boobs are hanging out, 
right. uh, that you're going to get looks and it, how do you, you know, are you okay with that? Or right. what if somebody approaches you because of that? Right. You know, it, it's not fair. It's not fair. We should be right. able to wear whatever we want and we should yeah. be able to look whatever way we want and we should be able to go out when it's dark. Yeah. And we should be able to do whatever we want. It's the freedoms that we have. Yeah. So, on the other hand, just think more closely about it. Yeah. And, you know, just know that there are weird people out there. Yeah. That's why I rarely go out after 11 with a short skirt. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I have less looks during the day because people just think I'm totally nuts. Um, <laughs> But, but, you know, it's so true, though. It's almost like, you, you know, you'd go to a Hells Angel biker bar. And if you know it, motorcycles are parked out front. You're like, I'll just go in and have a drink. No, like, you know, like you might want to avoid that place because it's not the safest place to be. So I think that that kind of common sense logic really should stay in the play. And, that, and by the way, that's what this book, The Gift of Fear, was on Oprah's bestselling list. And she even did a study with him at one point where people had to sign a release that they could get mugged over the next six months, whether they come into their house or do whatever. And she ran a study. And what was shocking was that most of the time in broad daylight, when these women were being attacked, dragged into the trunk of a car, no one stopped to help them. They thought it was a game. They thought it was friends. They thought it was a joke and they were afraid to get involved. So um, you only could rely on yourself and your skills and your gut and all of that stuff because you didn't have people standing up for you. Yeah. And I think that's a good point too, is that, you know, people don't want to get involved. Right. Even if they know, even if they know it's something bad going on. Yeah. They don't want to get involved. So they're not going to say anything. They're probably not going to step in. Uh, so that's something to think about. Wow. Awesome stuff. It's great. So um, Gus, you had a, another question, I know. And then we, we have almost come into a close, but I just have one yeah. last question to ask you. It's usually our closing question. Yeah, Gus, yeah, yeah. So uh, one question I have, what is, this is a question that I ask uh, at the end. Uh, what is the number one piece of advice that you would give to a school owner or an instructor who is trying to start uh, a successful, whether it be a portable program or just a successful program for their school? Um, the number one thing I would tell them is to first know why you want to do it. And once you know why, uh, everything else will fall into place. It might change the way you do it. Um, if you're doing it, like I said, to make money, then you need, you know, you need to set up fee structures and yeah. syllabus. Um, if you want to do it for free, you might be a little more free flowing. So I just, the, the number one thing is decide what you want to do in your program and then read this book. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Show, show, the picture, show the picture of the book again, like just so we can see uh, that it's backwards. Uh, so, there we go. There go. So that's, yeah. And that's available on Amazon. Uh, yeah. They could buy it on a, like a Kindle or a download it, and then it's, or not, it's not in an ebook form. It's okay. only a hard copy, hard copy. Amazon or through me. I always keep copies here. If people want signed copies or something like oh, that. That'd be great. So how would they get in touch with you to buy a copy from you? Because it's always better to support the support the author directly. Yeah. Because you know everyone else has got their hands in your pocket. If not, so then so how do they get in touch with you? Um, you can uh, contact me on Facebook. I'm Andrea Harkins, and I think it says the martial arts woman. 
Um, and I have several Facebook pages. You'll find the martial arts woman page. You'll find how to start your own martial art program page, you know, right. um, martial arts woman page. I have several, so you can contact me there. I'm on Instagram as the martial arts woman. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. Um, so, you know, anybody can reach out to me at any time on any social media platform and, and ask for a copy and be happy to get it. And how do they hear your podcast? Is it through Facebook or is it through iTunes? Where is your podcast? Yeah. The podcast is called the martial arts woman. It's available on all the major podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple, you know, Google. Um, I do it on anchor. So if you, you know, you can go to anchor podcasts, uh, it's on every every podcast platform, okay, so fantastic. if you download them, you'll find it. Fantastic. So, Gus, should I do our closing question, the spiritual one? Yes, go ahead. <laughs> so normally I ask this, and it's not morbid in any way. I always clar- clarify that. So let's just say um, you you know on on your deathbed or in your funeral. Um, people are talking about you. What do you, would you like to be remembered for? I know it sounds morbid, but it really is more of a spiritual thing. Like what, what would you like to people to say while they're there or think about you? What would be your thoughts? Yeah. Uh, well, my mission has always been to make the world a better place through martial arts and positivity. And so if somebody just said, you know, Andrea made my life better, she made the world better because she was a positive person and she used martial arts to help other people. Um, I think that that would pretty much sum it up. That's awesome. Yeah, and definitely we would love to occasionally have you back as an expert advisor and talk maybe if we have it, it'd be great. I I thought your interview was amazing. Thank you very much for being on here with us. And uh, I personally learned a lot and it was great talking to you and I'm happy to be able to sit here with you. Gus, I know you want to close it up and yeah, yeah, definitely. So we'll um, we'll leave your links uh, here on 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 our Facebook Facebook group uh, below this video. And then if you will, if you have like a website or a link where you want to send people to, uh, I know they can find you on Facebook as well. So um, let me, let us know if you have any other links or or things that you want to send people to. Okay, that's Thank you. I appreciate it. And I appreciate your time. I know we're all busy and we appreciate your time and spending it with us. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Um, Take care, everybody. Have a great day. See you later. Bye. Bye. Hey, everybody. Gus is here and wanted to talk about our sponsor, Wattify, and their all-in-one management software. They start at $79 a month. And they are a martial arts management software that has everything you need to grow your martial arts school. They start at $79 per month. Wattify is affordable yet a powerful software to use to run your business. So if you don't have an all-in-one management software, or maybe you're looking for something better, go ahead and go to wattify.com forward slash MAM and schedule a demo today. Just mention the martial arts marketing for school owner podcast. Thank you for watching another episode of the Martial Arts Marketing for School Owner podcast. This would not be possible without the help of our amazing sponsors. Please check out leadhuntermedia.com, your online advertising agency, eliteinsights.com for all of your website needs, and watify.com slash mam, your all-in-one martial arts management software. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.